And the Lord said, <laughs> let there be light. And there was. Well, it is good to have everybody here today. Good to have everybody here. Um, thank you all, by the way, for uh, everybody who sent me tree pictures this week. Um, that was nice. I uh, got lots of tree pictures, lots of stories, so that was really nice. If you weren't here last week, um, we talked about trees and how trees are like people. And as we grow, uh, we should have fruit that develops in our lives. If we do not have fruit, there's a problem in our relationship with God, just like, just like fruit trees. Um, one tree that I did not have a picture for, and I'd forgotten about it until we got home, Jenny said something about it. My wife Jenny said something about it. Uh, when, we were, when we were hiking last summer, uh, we had gone down to Virginia Beach, and we were at a, um, uh, a national park down there. And we saw this tree, and it was laying down, didn't think anything of it right away. It was thick. It was probably, I don't know, two and a half, three feet thick, um, laying down right beside the trail, and as we saw, at first didn't really look that close at it, but as we were walking by it, it was probably, gosh, probably 15, 20 feet long, and then right at the end, it turned up, and it was, gro- and it was growing up. Now, what is it that draws that tree that's laying down, what is it that draws it up? The it's the light. It's the sun. This tree was, it looked dead until you started to look at it, look close. And what was really cool is it started to drop roots along the trunk. And then when it got to where it turned up, the roots uh, had started to grow down into the ground. Um, There's a man that, that, uh, that Drew is just about to start telling us about that is a lot like this tree. Um, Now, I want to read, however, before we get into that, I want to read a passage that we normally hear in a much different context than a Sunday morning. So if you've got your Bibles, and if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to read a little bit of of this passage. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to start in verse 4. For those of us who have grown up around the church or, you know, like ever been to a wedding, um, this, this, uh, this passage will be somewhat familiar to us. It says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, and love never fails. Love is the most powerful force in all of creation. And when we think of the love that God has for his people, for us, because we know the things that go through our minds— We know the things that we are tempted to look at. We know the things that we say under our breath. We know the things that we say in our minds when we are around different people. And we think about this God who is so crazy in love with us, knowing where our minds can go. And and I think, at least I, sometimes ask, why? How? How can God love someone like me in the way that he does. But we're going to see that that is indeed 
Uh, that is indeed what he does. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, pray for us really quick, and, uh, and then Drew's going to pick up. So would you pray with me? God, we don't understand your love, but we are grateful for the love you have for us. We don't understand how you can love us when we have so many faults. We know how hard it is for us to love other people sometimes. But, you, but your love is, is beyond amazing. And we are thankful that you are patient with us. We are thankful that you love us. And God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our minds and our hearts, and open the ears of our minds and our hearts to see and to hear whatever you are going to speak to us today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, everyone, it is good to be here with you this morning. My name is Drew Miller, and I am humbled to be able to share God's word with you. So, we are going to be in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be going through the first 20 verses. So if you want to flip there now, um, we will be getting into that shortly. But isn't it amazing that God's love for us, that he acts in his love? Isn't that amazing? We have such a loving father. And so today we're going to talk about a man who gets to experience this love and his power and authority. So I'm going to read the first two verses in Mark 5. So verses 1 and 2. And those two verses say, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. I probably said that wrong, but that's okay. Um, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So to kind of preface this, we're going to talk about what we talked about last week, just a little bit. And so last week, Isaac touched on that the disciples, they were with Jesus in the boat as Jesus was preaching the parables to the crowds in Galilee. And so Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And so Jesus is going with the disciples to the other side, and they encounter the storm. You guys remember that storm? It was really crazy, and Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples were freaking out. So that's the scene that we get. And the disciples ask Jesus, they say, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus said, why are you so afraid after he calmed the storm? He said, do you still have no faith? And so they're at the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and so they were at the northwest corner, and now they're at the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee at this country called Gerasenes. And so Jesus immediately, when he stepped off this boat, there met him a man with an unclean spirit. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was met with a man that was running at me from afar, which is what it tells us later on, I would be pushing that boat back out and running for my life, <laughs> and I, I would not stick around, but we do not see that with Jesus. And so, we see in other passages in Mark one thirty-five that Jesus is rooted in the Lord. And we see this in the way that he prays. He goes to a desolate place on the mountains, and he's away, and the first thing in the morning is he prays. And so that relationship between him and the Father is strong. So, when Jesus immediately steps out, he doesn't shriek back in fear, but he knows that he has the power and the authority of God. And so, instead of running, he stands firm. So that's going to lead us to our first fill-in-the-blank. 
which is stand rooted in the Lord. And so it just goes to show that Jesus understands the power and authority that has been given to him from the Father. And to those who believe, we have been given that same power and authority over unclean spirits. And that is, that is the love that Christ has given us. And it's amazing. So moving forward, we're, we're going to be in verses 3 through 5. I'll go ahead and read that. So this man, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So now we get a bigger picture of this man. We see that this man is not just only running at him, but this man is oppressed, he's cut up, he's naked as we see in other gospels, and this man is not in his right mind, and he has incredible strength. And he's living among some very dark places. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about living among the tombs, that is some severe darkness within this man. And that's this unclean spirit that's living within him. And so, now that we have a fuller picture, this even builds upon Jesus' power and authority that he has in the Father. He's not shrieking back from even this image that he's getting. But I think what Jesus sees is a man that is broken, and he needs his love. He needs the Father's love. And so he's, he's not running away, but he sees this man in his desperate need, and he's going to address this. So we can infer that this demonic power had grown because this man is said to not, these chains cannot anymore bind him. So at one point, these chains were able to bind this man, but this demonic power continually grew and grew and grew and grew and grew because of the many demons that we're going to see in this man later on. And so my question is, in our lives, are we allowing sin to take a foothold and is that sin continually growing and growing and growing into this huge dark mess that we could have replaced with truth in the first place? And so this leads us to the, the second fill in the blank, which is, that's the third one. So the second fill in the blank is Jesus meets us where we are. And so we see Jesus meeting this man where he was in this desperate state. And that is encouraging to us as we are in our sinful bodies and that we need the love of a Savior. Moving forward, we'll be in Mark 5, 6 through 7. Mark 6, 5, 6 through 7 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, it's talking about the man, he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So we talked about this a little bit earlier. But when you see that this man was running at Jesus from afar, how, how many of you would stand there? I'm not going to stand there. I'm running, like I said earlier. So Jesus, again, in his power and authority of God, stood there. And instead of running, he knew his power and authority in God. 
And so this demon reveals the, the authority that God holds. And so this demon cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? These, de- these demons recognize who Jesus is and his power and authority. They recognize it. And they know that he holds the ultimate authority. Isn't that good news? That is good news. And so he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He's adjuring, which means pleading or begging. By God. So Jesus, that's fully God and fully man, he's standing here and this demon is begging him by God, who is God, not to torment him. That is, that is ironic. I mean, the fact that a spirit is adjuring God by God not to torment him, that is the ultimate sign that the demonic forces do not have authority over God. He's begging Jesus not to torment him. Proceeding into verses 8 through 10, it says, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And the demon replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He's not just saying, Come out, you unclean spirit. He's saying, Come out of the man. Jesus sees this man. In this desperate state, he's cut, he's been oppressed by this demon for too long. This is not the way we were created to be. In the beginning, we were created in the image of God, and our creation was very good. This is not God's original intent. And unfortunately, this man has been oppressed for too long. And so Jesus sees that need, and he says, come out of the man. So we see that Jesus was saying this. So he said this repeatedly. It's not like he said it one time. And some of you think, well, Jesus had the power and authority of God, so why did this demon not come out at first? And that's a good question. The demon was being disobedient. He's a disobedient spirit. It's not that God doesn't have power and authority over this spirit, but this spirit was disobeying what God told him to do. Again, it reveals this demon's wickedness. And as we talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, the truth, love rejoices in the truth that does not reduce in wrongdoing or wickedness. This, what this unclean spirit is doing is wicked. It's not the truth. The truth is that he's made in the image of God. And God, Jesus, is going to tell him to come out. And he's redeeming this man. So legion, this is the demon's name that's within this man. We are many. So there are many demons within this man. And so I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but we see that he was not able to be bound anymore and he was breaking chains. Now, when we think of chains, we think of some pretty heavy, durable metal, right? Those are severely strong. And so in this day and age, in the Roman Empire, we see that steel was not used, it was wrought iron. But wrought iron is still super, super strong. And so the the ability of this demon to be able to break those chains, that is a lot of strength. And the demonic spirit, the demonic spirits are strong, but again, the power and authority of God supersedes that. 
So Legion is a Roman army of about 6,000 soldiers and some cavalry on top of that. So we see that's a huge force. That's what this name, that's what a legion is. And so we see that this is a huge force, but that this demonic spirit is still begging Jesus not to torment him and not to send him out of the country. And so a question I want to leave you with on this last fill in the blank is, does our life reflect our beliefs? Are we living what we believe? When we face these situations, are we actually living out our beliefs? I think this will tell us a lot about what we actually believe when we encounter these situations. Because if we actually are living into them, and we're living into the power and authority of Christ, that reveals our true beliefs. And so I challenge you to ask yourself this question this week. So in 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1, verses 7, it says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love. Timothy, at this time, was being sent a letter by Paul. Paul was in, in chains. He was imprisoned. And Paul is telling Timothy to fan into the flame that he has received from Christ. And that, that gift is faith, having faith in the Lord regardless of the circumstance. And so we see that even though Paul is in prison, he's encouraging Timothy that it's worth it, that it is worth the suffering to share this love and power and authority that God has over this world. How many people need the love of Jesus that, he, that Jesus shared with this oppressed man. There are a lot of people. We all need Jesus' love and power and authority in our lives. We all need that. As we see, this demonic force is strong. But Jesus overcomes that. So again, I ask the question, are we living into the truth we believe? Are we sharing this love with others? There's a lot of people out there that need his love. There's a lot. So now we're going to be transitioning into the, the last 10 verses of this passage, and Jim is going to be taking over. Good. All right, good stuff. All right, so as we move into, into this next section, um, take a look. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, not Matthew, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 11. We're going to look at 11 through 13. It says this. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Strange. Strange. Um, what does this mean? Why would, why would these things want to go into a bunch of pigs? Um, hold your spot there. Let's flip back to the book of Matthew chapter 12. Interesting, interesting passage. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses, uh, just one verse, verse 43. Matthew twelve forty-three. Matthew twelve forty-three says this. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid or dry places seeking rest and does not find it. 
So there's a couple of tidbits about this information, about, yeah, about this in this section that I want to hit on before we move, before we move past it. So apparently evil spirits find rest in people's bodies, which is why they go after us. Um, and apparently they find rest in the bodies of animals too, because these things ask to go into some animals. Um, apparently just, I'm using the word apparently a lot. Um, just like people, animals don't like it too much when evil spirits go into them. We see that because of the way that these, these animals responded. They rushed down the, the, the bank and, and, went and drowned themselves in, in this lake. Another interesting piece of information, these Gerasene people were probably not Jewish. We know they're probably not Jewish because they're raising pigs. Pigs were a no-no. They were an unclean animal at this, at, this, at this point for Jewish folks. So these probably were not Jewish people. Uh, and they lived in this Roman province called the Decapolis. So, um, so they may not have even had a whole lot of information or knowledge about who Jesus was at this point. We don't know. It doesn't really say. But this is significant considering the way that this story turns out. So we'll come back to that. Again, there's no real immediate explanation as to why Jesus allowed these spirits to go into the pigs and didn't just make them leave and go into, as it said back here in Matthew 12, into these arid places where, where they didn't want to go. Um, maybe, maybe to avoid uh, allowing these things to go into other people. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. It doesn't explain that. Um, it did say that they, uh, they, they, they pled with Jesus not to send them out of that area, which is something we had had some conversation about through the week, that maybe these, these evil spirits were tied to this area. Um, who knows? They were, they were, they were called a, a Roman name, legion. So maybe they were somehow tied to this area. But what we do know is that the presence of evil always brings destruction. Always brings destruction. Again, hold your place here. Let's flip to John chapter 10. John 10, 10. He says this. He says, the thief who is Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And G but Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So that's an, a very interesting word. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. When the enemy comes into our life, he comes, even, even those, those temptations can, can seem really enticing. They can seem really good. They can, be, they, they can be really enjoyable while we're doing it. But what God's word says is whenever the enemy comes into our life to tempt us to bring any, any of his influence, he's coming only to kill, steal, and destroy. Every temptation that the enemy brings into your life and my life, those temptations are used to kill and steal and destroy. Awfully, awfully important for us to remember when those temptations look so good, when they taste so good. 
we remember, no, 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 this is from the enemy. He is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. So what, how do we see this here? Well, we see a whole herd of pigs killed in an instant. It wasn't just animals that were killed. This was someone's livelihood. And on top of that, this was probably a food source that was reserved for maybe a whole village. Just like that, it's ended because the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. So let's keep on going. So pick up in verse 14. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. These people seemed to be less afraid of this demon-possessed man when he was still possessed and hanging out in the tombs. Because when he shows up in his right mind, they see this guy Whoa, what happened? This, he didn't used to look like this. Something very, very significant happened in their, in their region, in their area, and it scared them. And they were afraid. Isn't it interesting what things we can accept and become familiar with? And just accept that, well, that's just the way life is. I was thinking about this. How many times do we say something like, well, I just have wandering eyes? That's called lust. It's not just wandering eyes. When I allow my eyes to wander, to look at things that are not mine, that's called lust. That is sin. I am allowing sin into my life every time I allow my eyes to wander to look at things, to look at people that I should not be looking at. This is lust. This is how the enemy grabs a foothold in our lives. It's not just I have wandering eyes. We go on. We could, we, I, I hear sometimes people say, well, I just, sometimes I let my temper get the best of me. No, that's called ungodly anger. And it hurts people around me and it hurts myself. This is wrong. This is allowing sin to have a foothold in my life. It's not just my, my quirky little temper. This is how the enemy gets a foothold in my life, and I hurt people, and I hurt myself. I might say something like, uh, well, at least people always know what I'm thinking. You ever hear people say that? No, you're being a jerk. <laughs> because God does not desire us to speak in abusive ways, even if it's the truth. Because if we read on in 1 Corinthians, he talks about if you know all of these amazing things, if you know all these prophecies and all this stuff, but if you don't speak in love, you are a resounding gong. It would be like going over to the symbols and just start banging on the symbols. Well, at least they know the symbols are being played. That's not how we are to speak. 
If I speak in ways that are unkind, I am now, I'm now allowing sin into my life. I am hurting other people and I'm hurting myself. And I'm giving the enemy a foothold. You see the pattern? When I, when I, just, when I just excuse myself, that's just the way I am, from doing things that I know are wrong, I'm allowing the enemy a place in my heart. Now I've got a problem because, hold your place there, let's, we're kind of skipping around a little bit. Let's look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5.17. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Ah, but we're human. I'm going to mess up. Yes, I'm going to mess up, but I don't just accept that this is the way that I am. No, I should be changing. My mouth should be speaking differently now than it was 20 years ago when I worked as a truck driver. My mouth should be different. My eyes should be different. I should not be allowing my eyes to wander into lustful things. I should be, my eyes should be more pure now than they were 20 years ago. 10 years ago, my eyes should be better than it were yet, yesterday, last week. Because I, it says the old has gone. That old sinful, that old, those old sinful habits should be gone. If I am living in obedience to Jesus, I should be living differently today than I was back then. If I'm not, there's a problem. There's a problem in my relationship with God that I'm not growing, that the fruit is not coming in my life like it should be. So instead of wanting this evil presence, going back to Mark chapter 5, instead of wanting this evil presence out of, out of their region, who did they want gone? When Jesus gone, the one who had brought freedom to this man who did this amazing miracle, you need to leave because you're scaring the heck out of us. They were afraid of Jesus and what he could do, so they pleaded for him to leave, which is completely backwards from how we would think they ought to respond. But then think about those times in our lives when we have harbored sin, when I do keep that trash mouth, when I do allow my eyes to go and wander into looking at and you know, being lustful, when I am harboring onto my addictions and my habits and I'm holding onto those and I'm not ready to give up to give those things up. And then I start, start hearing about Jesus. I don't really want to hear about Jesus then because he's going to tell me I should stop. He's going to tell me I should turn things over to him. He's going to tell me that I should learn to trust him more than my cigarettes. He's going to tell me I should trust him more than the alcohol that I need. He's going to tell me that I need to trust him and I'll hit, allow him to comfort me more than the pornography that I look at. That's uncomfortable when I'm still trying to hold on to those things. Do we want Jesus' presence in our life 
And do we want those things expelled? Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Because with those things come a darkness. You guys know the darkness? You ever felt the darkness? The darkness comes when we're holding on to those things. Just like the darkness was over this region because of these legion of spirits or whatever was going on, that darkness was over this area. So how did the enemy then kill, steal, and destroy even more? Well, the seed of the gospel was removed by the enemy. It never had a chance to grow. Here was Jesus. He was there physically. The man Jesus was there. He did a miracle, but instead the people said, get out. And the seed was stolen out of their hearts. The seed of the message of the good news that Jesus was bringing. We saw this a couple weeks ago when Sam was preaching that the soil of some people's hearts are hard and packed down and they don't receive that message that Jesus loves them and that Jesus desires them to be uh, part of his family. The seed of the gospel was stolen from them because of their fear, which brings us back to John 10.10 that said, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This could have been an amazing revival in this area had the people acknowledged Jesus' power over the demons and received his love for this guy and could have been received his love for them. But they missed it. This could have been a potentially new segment of believers to spread the gospel. Thus, the potential of this area was destroyed because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But then something happened that the legion of demons did not see coming. Plot twist. The plot twist comes in verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. The demon-possessed man became an amazing evangelist for Jesus. What a cool situation. Into this dark area that did not know who Jesus was, that had turned their back on Jesus, that didn't want anything to do with his healing because they didn't know him, but they did know this guy. And they saw something amazingly miraculous happen to this man. And they couldn't explain it. They could not explain it naturally. This is how he was. This is how he is now. We can't explain that. I would suggest this is a story about God's love and how he recruits sowers of the seed of the gospel. Because this man, became, he, he joined Jesus' team to share the gospel. They knew this guy. They listened to him. Folks, our testimonies are powerful. Why did he obey Jesus? Because he knew that Jesus loved him. 
and he wanted people to know what Jesus did in him. He wanted other people to know that their sins could be forgiven just like his was. So, we have um, got a friend that is going to be joining us up on stage for, um, for our testimony. Um, I'd like to introduce to you Gwen Kaufman. Um, we dropped the lights down a little bit because Gwen was in a pretty wicked accident over the summer and still kind of dealing with some of the effects of concussions and all that good stuff. There you go. Okay. So, Gwen, how would you relate to this? Are you, can you, are you going to be able to see? Yes, I can see. Okay. How would you relate to this guy that was among the tombs? I've read this story several times before and never considered it personally relatable. And when you asked me to share my testimony, I said I'd pray about it and I meant it, but I was also thinking, no way. <laughs> Who wants to identify with the man possessed by a legion of demons? Plus, I've had a multitude of wonderful moments with amazing people in my life. But when I was honest with myself and stopped focusing on what other people might think, I realized I do relate to it in quite a bit. I related with the man beneath the outer appearance, being tormented by a legion of voices, filling his mind with lies, accusations, and confusion. For me, these were the constant negative thoughts of how... For me... you good. For me, these were the constant negative thoughts of how I viewed myself and other people based on multiple traumatic experiences throughout my life that manifested into emotions like rage, negativity, insecurity, anxiety, depression, fear, and many more that I couldn't seem to get control of, kind of like this man couldn't get control of the demons possessing his mind and body. I had a mindset that everyone has their issues, it's just life, so suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Make the best of it and move on. So I lived in survival mode, doing what I had to do to make it through another day. Unfortunately, that meant making a lot of bad choices, picking up bad habits, and hurting people that I cared about along the way. The guilt and shame from that mixed with the tornado of thoughts and emotions would often send me into the darkness and loneliness of isolation, which is another way that I can relate to this guy and how he must have felt in not knowing how to change where he was, just accepting that this is what life was meant to be, cursed and filled with pain, feeling safer among the tombs of the dead and the cruelty in the world of the living. It was a pretty dark place to be in, and most people didn't even know I was there. Yeah. So, what happened when Jesus came to you? Well, the first time I made a commitment to Jesus was around age 19, but I walked away from him. Eight years ago, I recommitted my life to him, and even though I truly wanted to live my life as a Christian, there was always a disconnect. Then I found myself at a point around last year um, where my life was just a mess. And then around the end of last year, I was unemployed and because of a car accident, unable to work and with injuries that pretty much stopped my life in its tracks. It also took a toll on my mental health. And then to deal with the chaos going around me, I started reaching to old habits for comfort while asking Jesus where he was in all the mess. 
he made it clear to me that he's always been there, but I had a choice to make. Either I could continue with the old habits or choose him, so I reached out to my big godly person, and Jesus has been showing up in big ways ever since. He started meeting me where I was by sending people who simply showed love to me and my family. And it was this love of the New Hope family that opened me to the fullness of Jesus' love. And that led to my sense of urgency to be connected to him. And then on January 9th, I found myself asking God why there was still a disconnect and realized that I had been viewing obedience and submission as something bad and that I was still trying to control my own life. I had a rebellious heart. And then the thought of intentionally rebelling against Jesus broke me and I found myself knelt before him emotionally raw and vulnerable for the first time and full repentance and submission. And it was at that moment that I felt an overall lightness and peace and knew without a doubt that the Holy Spirit was was with me and that disconnect was completely gone. So, how is life becoming different now? A lot more ways than I have time to share today. (laughs) (laughs) To sum it up, right now I'm in process of learning what love is according to Jesus' example, both for, for other people and love for myself. And what he meant by remain in me and I will remain in you. I'm learning that by spending daily time studying scripture, taking time to be in prayer and just learning to sit still in his presence. This is helping to change my thoughts from confusion and lies to clarity and truth, understand the Holy Spirit's Spirit's guidance rather than relying on myself, and to know God's true character, which is making me want to be obedient. I'm also learning that I can't run from my past traumas. I have to deal with them, along with the importance of community. And even though my circumstances are similar to what they were a few months ago, I'm not the same at all as who I was a few months ago. (laughs) Instead of feeling stuck in the darkness, I'm filled with an expectant hope of whatever path lies ahead, knowing that Jesus is walking with me. Hmm. That's good. So for anyone here who is living in maybe the kind of darkness that you had had or just any kind of darkness in general in their lives, what would you suggest for them? First of all, talk to God. Um, Whenever you can, go to a quiet place or talk, even if it's with a friend, talk to him, cry it out, yell it out, uh, whatever it is that you're feeling, um, and practice just waiting and sitting quietly with him in his presence. Um, That's been the most healing for me is just being with them and talking talking to them. Um, studying scripture, uh, the version app, whether it's audio or reading, um, whether it's devotionals, I find comparing translations and adding notes for reference and just sometimes tracking your progress or for hope. Um, going through Equip, can't push that enough. Um, being intentional about what you're allowing into your mind and taking negative thoughts captive and replacing it with truth. And for me, I'm still learning scripture, so if I don't know what to replace it with, asking the Holy Spirit to fill my mind with his thoughts. Um, And most importantly, don't do life alone. We're not meant to do this alone. And if you don't have a big godly person or persons, find somebody, join a small group. Um, 
and we have somebody, we have a father, brother, friend just waiting on us, and uh, spiritual warfare is real, and there's a whole, he's got angels there who are mightier in numbers than any legion, um, any legion of darkness that's around you. Don't do it alone. So some of us might be able to relate with Gwen's life because you've experienced that darkness. The love of God is powerful enough to overcome absolutely any darkness that you have ever experienced, that, ever, that you ever could experience. His power is enough. His power is enough. What darkness do you live with that you've just accepted as the way life is or this is your lot in life you don't have to live this way you absolutely do not I want to take a couple minutes um, as, we're, as we're finishing up here and I want you to bring to mind whatever it is that you know that you are harboring in your soul that shouldn't be there that does not that does not agree with what Jesus teaches. I want you to take a couple minutes and I want you to bow your heads. I want you to bring that to mind. If you have a desire to eliminate this kind of darkness in your life, and I want you to pray this right along with me. Now, if you, don't want, if you don't want to give this up yet, then I would suggest not trying to pray this. But if you are done with this darkness, if you want to, even if you want to be done with this darkness, I'd like you, to, I'd, I'd, I would invite you to pray a prayer of repentance with me because this is a, what's necessary is we have to say, I don't want this anymore and that we want to turn away from this. So I want you to just pray this right along with me. I want you to say, Jesus, I am tired of this lifestyle. I don't want this in my heart any longer. I want my mind to be free. I want my mind to be free to be focused on you. So would you please forgive me for being rebellious, for turning away from you. I desire to repent of that sin. I need to turn away from this, God. And I need your strength because I can't do it on my own. So empower me to turn away from this sin in my life and help me turn to you. And God, show me who is safe for me to talk to and to get help from. Direct my attention to somebody that can help me walk through this. In Jesus' name, amen. And God, I pray that you, that everybody who prayed that, whatever it is that is a part of their lives, that is apart from you, 
that has allowed this darkness into their lives, Lord, I pray that you would empower them this week to, uh, to, to begin turning from that. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to turn, to turn away from their rebellion. And, and Lord, if there are those that are not ready to turn from their rebellion yet, Lord, I pray that you would begin to bring some conviction into their lives so that they, uh, so that they will not continue in a direction that is apart from you. Lord, I pray for a spirit of joy. And I pray for a spirit of peace upon anyone here that desires to be completely given over to you. God, fill their soul with your joy. Fill their soul with peace. Fill their soul with contentment. Lord, watch over us as we go from here this week. If there's any conversations that we need to have, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would lead us into those conversations even before we leave today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, we're...